0: social change culture wants to influence children's attitudes and beliefs away from family values in christ but first they have to diminish and eliminate the voice of the parent so how do we respond to a culture that wants to destroy family we strengthen the very institution that they're afraid of the family
1: hey guys welcome to the monica klein show and i'm your host monica klein on the edify podcast network Happy to have you guys back with me for another amazing episode. And, uh, and today I have an awesome guest with me. I have heard a lot about this fabulous woman for quite some time. So I'm really, actually, I'll be honest. I reached out to her thinking, oh, she she doesn't, you know, she's not going to say, yeah, she doesn't know who I am, but she was excited. She was excited to be on my podcast. so I'm excited <laughs> to bring her on, uh, have heard so much about her all over um, the, the pro-life movement, um, and her story is amazing. So I want to introduce you to Tony McFadden. Um, she is the founder of Relationships Matter. And she actually has an upcoming book. We'll ask her and, and find out from her when it's going to be released. But her upcoming book is called Redeemed My Journey After Abortion. And so, Tony, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here with me. Thank you're gorgeous. You. I love your big smile. Aww, yeah. <laughs> How are you doing?
0: I'm doing really, really good. And I, I knew about you, too, through um, listening to Abby Johnson. And I believe you're on Seth Gruber's. Podcast too, and I enjoy both of them so much. So, yeah, Yeah. so I was excited that you asked me. Oh, good, I'm glad. I'm glad. No, I know
1: (laughs) it's funny that we were like intimidated by other speakers, like, oh, they're so amazing. Yeah,
0: (laughs) oh, it's so nice. I'm I'm not.
1: I feel like a regular girl, and we, we are. And this is what's so amazing about the work you're doing, what Abby's doing, even what Seth is doing. That we, we really we're just ordinary people yes. um, who've been affected in our lives by certain mm-hmm. things that have caused us to want to speak out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm excited to have you here to learn more about you and and tell me, Tody, how did you get involved in? In pro life and pro family. I know you have mm-hmm. uh, Relationships Matter. Right. Um, I don't even know where to start, but let's start with yeah. that. Like you started really, you're the founder of Relationships Matter. Tell us mm-hmm. what that is and what, uh, just really, what inspired you to do
0: that? Well, Relationships Matter is newer. Um, I started that about a couple of years ago. I believe it was in 2018. I had for years spoken um, at a or worked for a crisis pregnancy center. So I worked at a PRC as their relationship educator for six years. Um, I started as a, just a volunteer, then I started working for them. And then I became the director, but then I got married and the Lord told me to lay down speaking. And I knew that it would come back eventually, but I didn't know when eight years later (laughs) after having four babies and the Lord just said in around 2018, all right, it's time to pick this back up. And I said, okay, I really want to impact the youth because they are the culture, they affect the culture so much and what we're feeding them matters. So the Lord brought me in 2018 to a time where he was like, okay, it's, you can pick this back up, this dream that you have of speaking because I knew it was a gift that he had placed in me. But his timing is perfect, which is what I see over and over and over again. And he is faithful to his promises. So he brought me to Genesis where there's this view of Adam and Adam has this perfect relationship with God. And God has created him to do certain things. But yet God said it was not good for him to be alone and brings Eve And so with all of that, I thought relationships matter. Like we cannot survive without relationships and not toxic ones, but healthy ones. We thrive in relationships. We weren't created to be separate from each other. So that's how I got the name Relationships Matter, because I feel like that sums up everything. (laughs) And um, I started with that and things just really started to fall into place. It's so amazing when God says yes. And you're like, okay, I'm gonna, And then you're like on speed mode. I'm like, wait, 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 can you slow down now? So I just put my name out there. Social media is so powerful when you're using it for good. And there were some people who knew that I was a speaker beforehand years ago. And they said, yeah, we would love for you to come and speak to our youth group. And so I came and I would speak to the youth on saving sex for marriage and really challenging them against what the culture is feeding them, but telling them the why behind waiting, not just you wait because this is what you're supposed to do, but, and also not saying sex is bad. Because God created sex. Therefore, it is good. It's our sin, it's our culture that has taken it and degraded it. But when you see it in the um, in God's view, there's a purpose behind it of it makes sense on why you wait. But you also, I would also explain it in a way that was relational to them by being vulnerable, you know, with my own story. I didn't wait until I was married. So I would be vulnerable with that, and but then I was able to show them what it looked like when I actually started walking the way God had called me to walk and to view myself the way God viewed me and relationships, the beauty behind that. Not that it's easy, but it's worth it. And I've been on both sides of the spectrum. So the kids gravitate towards that so much. And also, I just feel like I'm gifted in speaking. So not everyone could just get up and be vulnerable. And, you know, but this is my calling. This is what God has designed me to do. So I see that every time I get in front of them and speak. So I didn't know I was going to going to become though, like this pro-life speaker, though. <laughs> it just kind of happened. Um, in 2019, when and Cuomo passed a law that you could abort in New York City all the way up to nine months. I was so physically sick that I, the injustice in that, it was already injustice before, like whether, <laughs> I mean, because I'm against abortion Period. Any circumstance, and I mean, obviously, that's a blanket statement. That some people would be like, "Wait," and maybe I'd be able to explain that more. But to light up the World Trade Center in pink, yeah, to celebrate and see people clapping, I I could feel the spiritual warfare, and that, yeah, and I just could not keep my mouth shut. And at the same time, I was learning more about the roots of. Planned Parenthood and their racist agenda. And I was like, I can't hold in <laughs> what That's I'm right. learning. I can't. And so I had, um, again, social media is just so powerful. Lila Rose from live action had mm-hmm. posted something on her Instagram. And I just asked people, what are you, what's your ministry? What are you doing? And all I mentioned was a little piece of my story, which we'll get to, which is very powerful. And God's hand is all over it. But I mentioned it and she actually reached out to me and said, we would love to feature your story. After that, it was just like doors were just opening left and right. And, Mm. you know, I I met Abby Johnson for the first time when I spoke in Philadelphia at a rally there. And that was in 2019. I was asked to speak like, 10 minutes before I arrived. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> They're like, you have three to four minutes. You, wow. So I was like, sure. And again, it's just God's hand being yeah. obedient to the little things. And he will just open doors that you don't think is possible. So I've been doing now speaking specifically just on pro-life issues on black genocide, how it affects the black community for a couple of years now and but I honestly feel like God's just getting started and yes my book is hopefully going to be released January or February. We're still working out all the details um, with that because writing a book and all the details for the first time is very difficult. It is. <laughs> It is
1: I, i'm I, I applaud you for doing that. I've been tr- trying to do that myself, and it's it's hard, and especially when it's the vulnerable story that you're sharing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it mm-hmm. makes it very, very hard. I've also yes. heard from like Abby and others that it's also very healing. To go it through is that process. So mm-hmm. um I'm looking forward to it <laughs> <laughs> yes. for myself but I'm look definitely looking forward to reading your book. So good. Yes. We'll we'll want to bring you, you back and talk about that. And yes. you mentioned a couple of things. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh and I'm curious about this and it's probably part of your story. You mentioned that yeah. you do share with the teenagers uh it, with not only about your past but then the choices that you made um, you know, living more in line with how God created us. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and, and to show them that difference, how, what do you think is more impactful? Is it, is it sharing, being vulnerable about your past? Is it the, the way God wants us to live? Or is it that full package of being able to say, I've been on both sides? What do you think impacts them the most? Like, what is it about that, your story, that part of your story that really Mm -hmm. impacts them and makes them think?
0: There's, it depends on the listener because I've had a friend who waited until marriage. That speaks to those who are waiting to say, okay, it's going to be worth it. But then you need the other side almost to say, well, I messed up. What am I supposed to do? Where's the hope? Where's the redemption? And that's where I would be able to come in and say, yeah, your mistakes do not have to define you, that you have, if you're living today, you're still living and breathing. You have choices that you can make that can impact you in a different way. So having both sides, because God's so loving, he's pursuing all hearts. He knows exactly what they need exactly what they need to hear. So my story may not impact everyone because some people don't have a story like mine, but there are some people who really need to hear the redemptive part. Um, there are those who, which we'll get into, who have had abortions. I have had an abortion. And it's hard to talk about that. It's And it's like a weird balance in the pro-life movement too, to have had an abortion, but now being on the side of life when you hear certain things that some people say that can be insensitive when that's not who you are anymore. So I feel like I give a really good representation of who, who God, how God thinks of us, that he's not just viewing me as my past anymore, that he does step in and redeems all of that. And doesn't just see me as that anymore. That, I am a new creation. And now when I share my story, it's not out of a place of condemnation. I'll always have the regret. I'll always feel like the guilt of that because that's the consequences of my sin. But I also am walking in freedom. I also know who my savior is. And no matter what other people may say or view or whatever, if I'm not grounded in who God thinks I am or how he sees me, then that's when you fall apart. Yeah. You know,
1: that is you so good. You know, and, and I want to, I want to really encourage the people who are listening, all my friends listening here, how that redemption message is so important, not only for our youth, but even mm-hmm. adults. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I bet you a lot of the people who see me speak are like, she's strong. She, she's out there really being bold. And this is, mm-hmm. you know, they, she, she's, she, you know, she's doing great. Um, I just, God just led me recently in the last week to remind me that I'm forgiven of my past mm-hmm. because it is a process that redemption yeah. is a process when you're saved. Yes. God has redeemed you. And you are redeemed, like mm-hmm. it's it's done. But the process mm-hmm. of healing, that takes time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Definitely. Um, it, was, it was definitely, it was amazing that, like I said, just a week ago, God showed me one more thing in my past that really wasn't even my fault. It's something that happened in my childhood, Mm -hmm. but that Satan was using that as a lie to say, this is your identity. Uh, And so when you were talking about that, you share with the young people that the choices that we've made, or even whether, you know, maybe the sins that we've committed or the sins who have been committed against us us. are not our identity. Mm -hmm. When mm-hmm. we are in Christ, we receive a brand new, create, or a brand new identity. We're a new creation. Yeah. And so the choices we made, the sinful decisions that we made, even the ones mm-hmm. presently, they do not define us. They're not right. our identity. And mm-hmm. what someone has done to us or uh, a sin against us, or if someone is speaking lies into your life, could be, you know, the enemy, Satan, or even people in your life, mm-hmm. that is not your identity either. Amen. And God wants to release us of those strongholds. Yes. And sometimes it takes us being vulnerable mm-hmm. to hear other people's stories and their redemption stories. Yeah. that helps us realize, oh, that's, that's not my identity. And identity is really at the crux of what is happening today with our young people, Thank why you they're so becoming much. more sexually active, mm-hmm. why they're questioning their sexuality, why they're questioning even their gender, mm-hmm. uh, the relationships that they're making. Um uh believing that they you know to consent into things all of it gets tied into the their vulnerability of not knowing who they are and what mm-hmm. their identity is yeah so i love that. what you're doing and mm-hmm. that you're speaking into that now, you also yes. mentioned a part of your story about your redemption from an abortion do you, mm-hmm. you want to share that next or do you want to go yeah.
0: into part of it yeah no i would love to share that so i was in high school i was dating a guy off and on for about two years. And it was not a healthy relationship at all. But it was my first real relationship. And he was a year ahead of me in school. And my senior year of high school, he had already been off at college. And before that time, we were sexually active, but not doing everything. And my, my insecurity, I thought, if I don't have sex with him, he's going to leave me. Like he's in college now, he's with all these other, you know, older girls. Like, what's gonna make him stay with me? Now, saying that out in my mouth now and knowing what I know now sounds so ridiculous. <laughs> but when you're as I as you mentioned, you're in middle school, high school, you're trying to figure out who you are. And then it's clouded with sex and your friends telling you things and TV telling you things and if you don't have a strong foundation in the home and parents, you know, telling you as well. I mean, my parents did as best as they, they could, but um, there was some dysfunction there. I was learning on my own trying to figure this out. And so we did add sex to the relationship and lo and behold, I get pregnant. You, as a teenager, you don't think it's going to happen to you. And I found myself sitting in this waiting room of an abortion clinic. My best friend had come with me. My boyfriend at the time had come with me. And I remember just feeling so uncomfortable in this place. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And it was at nighttime. It was about an hour away from my hometown. And they were very, now that I look back, very manipulative. Like They gave me a different name. So if they called my house, I'm aging myself because you know we didn't have cell phones this time. <laughs> I know <what> you mean. <laughs> That's
1: part of my testimony too. It's like we would tell them to give us a different phone number when we call the house. We
0: had beepers, you know. Yeah, teenagers like what the heck is our beepers? <laughs> uh, so they gave me a different name so that if they had to call my house and my parents answered, and they said this name then I would know it was them. Like what, you know, now that I look back at that, I'm like, Oh my word. And I'm like, you're helping secrets.
1: me. Yep. Keeping
0: secrets from parents, parents are a barrier. Keep them out of the way. Yeah. Oh my word. So we ended up going there and I just was so uncomfortable and I had to get an ultrasound and they had the the monitor faced away from me. And I remember laying there and I asked the nurse, I said, could I see the monitor? And I could tell she was like very annoyed that I asked that. And she's like, no, you, you really shouldn't see that. And I was like, well, I really would like to see that. And so she, she turns it around and... Before I could say anything, she was like, see, it's nothing. It's just the size of a pea. And I was now knowing what I know now. um, I was about seven weeks along Mm -hmm. and I didn't know how to calculate things when I was back then. Like I just, I thought it was four weeks and I, I had no idea. And then I realized, okay, I must've been about seven weeks. yeah. And I tell people when I share my story, like, wow, she didn't tell me maybe you had a heartbeat, their own DNA, you know, um, like the blueprint of their entire lives is right there and it's never going to be created again. And, but in her mind, because they're there for money and to do what they need to do, Oh, it's nothing. It's just the size of a pea. So in my teenage mind, I'm thinking, okay, it's not a baby, even though I knew it was a baby. I just mm-hmm. thought that gave me s- some kind of weird temporary relief when she mm-hmm. said those words. Like, mm-hmm. Okay. Cause it didn't look like a baby on a screen. It just looked like a circle. Right. <laughs> you know? So I was like, okay. And then I went and to see, I say doctor, because I don't think doc real doctors take lives. I think they save them. So I went in to see the doctor and I was given the RU486 pills. Now, this was 1999. The FDA had not even approved of these until I believe 2001. So I was given these pills. I was given the first set in the doctor's office. And he said, this will stop the fetus from growing well, we know what that means. That means we're going to block the hormone progesterone from the baby so that they detach from you and starve to death and die, you know, but they're not going to say it like that. And thank God we have this, the new um, injection you can get, or the pill form you can take when a girl takes these to reverse it, the abortion pill reversal. They didn't have that then, but then they gave me, Two packets of the second set of pills I was supposed to take in 24 to 48 hours. And long story short, I remember getting into the car, laying in the back seat of my best friend's car, and I just start to cry. Mm-hmm. And they're sitting in the front seat talking as if like nothing happened. And I'm just like, something wasn't right. Like, I was one of those women who knew. I'm going to regret this. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what I just did, but I know it wasn't right. Mm-hmm. And my boyfriend actually stops talking to me after that. Mm-hmm. I hadn't even taken the second set of pills yet. And he was already like what they would say now, ghosting me. Just wasn't answering my calls. Nothing. Just dropped me off at my house, gave me a hug and then left. And I knew kind of in my heart. Yeah, that it was probably going to be over. So I took the second set of pills at my friend's house and I spotted a little bit, but that was it. And I called the office and I said, um, it was, is this what's supposed to happen? Because I, you know, only bled a little bit and they were so rude to me, like very condescending. Like, this is why we gave you two sets of pills. Just take the second set. And you'll be fine. Like <laughs> I wow. will never forget. I remember in that moment thinking, "I'm never going back to this place" because I was supposed to go back for a checkup mm-hmm. afterwards. And I remember in my brain thinking, "I'm never going back there." I mean, they,
1: they have to harden their hearts to do this. Oh I, I my is my only thought, and that they mm-hmm. just their hearts had become so hardened, yeah, that that they treat
0: women. So horribly. They are not for women (laughs) in any shape or form. But I did take the second set of pills and I did bleed a little bit more than the first time. Come to find out, two months later, I'm in school. I start getting the most excruciating pain of my life. I can't even make it to the nurse's office by myself. And this is a little graphic, but I say I tell it not to just to tell it, but this is the reality of first term abortion that people think is not a big deal. I went into the bathroom and there were blood clots the size of my fist wow. coming out of my body. I'm hunched over in so much pain. And I thought I'm like, was this what was supposed to happen? So I've had my dead child in my body for two months because the baby had never come out. The pills had never worked. So my mom came and picked me up. I just told her I had bad cramps. I went home and I just remember being on the toilet for hours. And this is still very blurry to me, but I believe I saw something pass Mm -hmm. and, but you're just trying, you're in survival mode. Yeah. And I just couldn't, my mind was just like, I don't even know. It's still blurry. Even when I wrote the, my book, I said that like, I still can't remember everything because it's so traumatic. Like you can't, (laughs) <laughs> believe your body is actually going through this and it don't prepare you for it. The last thing I remember is laying in fetal position in my bed and just praying it was going to be over. And what do you do? You stuff it down. You pretend like it didn't happen. And it's eating away at you in ways that you don't even understand. I became such an angry I think person too mm-hmm. and I just I spiraled out of control. I didn't even care about who people I slept with after this. Like, mm. I was so, I started drinking more. And you don't see it. You don't see it as a pattern. Right. <laughs> you, know? you know, I graduated high school. I was supposed to go off to college. I took a little break and then I went to college. It, it was just like, a mess, but here's the redemption side. <laughs> Get to that. You can read more of the details in my book when it comes yeah. out. But um I became a believer in college. And through a ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ. And, you know, God is so good because he doesn't waste our past. He doesn't use our past to condemn us, but he will use our past to set other people free. You know, and I never thought I would talk about my abortion. I thought even after becoming a believer, I was like, this is between me and God. He knows I'm forgiven. That's it. But, you know, he's just like, he's not satisfied we're keeping us where we are. He wants us free and to experience true freedom. So that's how I got connected to a crisis pregnancy center through a girl from my church who was the director at the time at this place. And she she was the first person I ever told my story to. And she was mm-hmm. like, do you know how many girls need to hear your story? And that's when God began to break that hardness in my heart. And I went through post-abortion counseling. I went through the Bible study forgiven and set free. And that was really powerful for me to go through. And I love that Bible study because it's filled with so much scripture Mm -hmm. to show you your sin, but also to show you God's grace and mercy at the same time. Mm -hmm. So I always recommend that by Linda Cochran. And this is the kicker. God could have stopped there. Honestly, I was like amazed that he was using me in this such powerful way and, um, just redeeming who I was and my past. And I knew I was breaking generational things as well. Um, but then, um, about, Hmm. It'd been almost eight years host and I, the same guy that I had the abortion with actually had become a believer. And he came back and um, got in contact with me because he's like, um, I know we haven't talked in a really long time, he's like, but I'm a Christian now. And I know that how I treated you wasn't right. And wow. I would really like to meet you face to face to, you know, apologize. And I'm like, what like what is happening because I was sharing our story in the classroom for years but he was just part of the story like and I had forgiven him but it was like this takes it to a whole another level yeah because I thought I was never going to see him again you know so I ended up meeting him for dinner and I sat across from him and you know when someone's changed. Um, they don't even have to say anything. You could see it in their presence, yeah. in their eyes, in their demeanor. And he's like this big football guy. Like he's six, two, big guy. And he just looked like he had this soft demeanor about him. And he just said to me, the reason I broke up with you and decided not to talk to you because it was easier to walk away from you than have to face the fact that we ended the life of our child. Yeah. And I'm like, the first time I'm like, wow, abortion does not just affect women. (laughs) It also affects men because uh, now as a believer, he realizes that it is the man's role to protect. And not only did he not protect me, he did not protect the most vulnerable, which was our child. Mm. I'm like, what is happening? (laughs) god is happening god you know he's so good i'm like he could have stopped there and less than a year later i marry him (laughs) no
1: oh my i'm like this is i know i have to keep speaking because we're on a podcast and we can't have any silence but i'm just like what
0: yeah it makes i still every time i tell it it makes me tear up and um for a couple of of reasons reasons. one because god is so good to do that and he didn't have to two we have these four beautiful children that we know what our child would have looked like we have two boys Mm -hmm. two girls you know um and but at our wedding we were able to honor our baby. Um, I had a, a friend of mine made a little shadow box for me and I had had a memorial service for the baby, but long before my husband came and it had my, the program in there and she bought me a little willow doll, um, those mm-hmm. willow tree. Right. And, um, this is a, a side note, but I had a dream that the baby was a boy. And so it's a boy with holding a balloon that says hope. Mm
1: -hmm. And we put
0: our wedding flowers in the shadow box as well. And we said to our guests in our program, we were lighting an extra candle to acknowledge the life of our, our unborn baby. So I'm like, God, only you can write stories like this. Absolutely. Only you. And I'm not special. You know what I mean? It's not like I'm, it's just, I think it's obedience and watching God move in ways that you don't think that he will. I never thought I was going to marry him. I never thought I would ever see him again. He thought I was going to be married already when he was looking for me. He was like, she's probably married already. He didn't know I was a Christian and he (laughs) didn't know that you were sharing the
1: story and changing lives. How no. did he
0: react to that? Oh, my goodness. He I remember the first time he came to hear me speak. Oh. And he doesn't like to cry, but he does this thing. It's Hilarious. He, even when we got married, he does the thing where he blinks like a million times because he doesn't want to cry. <laughs> <laughs> now we know. Like, when honey, we see him. Honey, yeah, just let it out, honey. Let um, it out. Yeah. But uh, he was just amazed of the impact that. It has on people because they don't expect it. They're like, wait, what happened? Like, and I remember a girl saying to me, How do you know you can trust him? And I said, You know, that is a really, really good question. The reason I know I can trust him is because he is the man that I needed him to be long before he ever came back to me. Like he was already working on himself. I don't feel like I have to change him or make him into something that I want him to be. He, I was working on myself and out of obedience, hoping someday I would get married. I didn't know who it would be, but mm-hmm. that's what I would tell the students all the time. I would say, I'm rebuilding my foundation right now, not just for myself, but if I get married someday, I want them to know that I've been thinking about them that I've been working on myself. I'm not having sex because that belongs to you. Not because it's easy, but because I want you to be able to trust me and actions speak louder than words. And that's basically what you're doing. When you get married, your two foundations come together and it's no longer I and I it's we and us and everything you've done in your past and everything you're going to do in your future are going to impact each other. And Mm -hmm. I wanted him to know for these past years, whenever the person was going to come into my life, that I've been thinking about you long before I knew who you were going to be. That's love. And that takes sacrifice. And that's what our culture is not teaching. They're teaching instant gratification. You need what you want when you want, but things that are worth doing take work. And in the end, it's so much more satisfying So we don't have a perfect marriage, but we have a very solid marriage. And um, divorce is not an option (laughs) at all. You know, he stuck with me. Uh, But I remember on our wedding day, he said, I will be a covenant keeper like our God is a covenant keeper to us. Amen. That's awesome. And that's the beauty of marriage. You know, we can be free because you know that person's not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. So...
1: Tony, that is a, a, a beautiful, beautiful yeah. story, and you're absolutely right. God was working. And what is your husband's name? Chris. Chris, Chris with a K, a, though. Chris with a K. <laughs> yeah. God was working in Chris separately from you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely separately from you. Um, you know only he knew that he was going to bring you back together but I think that that's what's important is mm-hmm. that he needed to know he he was working he loves Chris and so he mm-hmm. worked on Chris yeah he, he convicted Chris about the actions that he took um mm-hmm. uh, against you and his own child and, and yeah. he was working in you as well and then it was really just his plan to bring you guys together so it's exactly. not about changing the person that you're with. Mm-hmm. God does the changing. Yes. Uh, yes. And I don't believe when it comes to relationships, I don't believe that God calls us to change that person ourselves. Right. It's mm-hmm. God that's doing the changing. Yes. So to be in a relationship where you know that other person is not living for Christ, to mm-hmm. believe that you're going to change them
0: mm-hmm. is
1: well, it's being very naive and, mm-hmm. and it may be hopeful, but right. it's that's not your job. We're not mm-hmm. to fix that person. Uh, right. And I think your story really shows that, that he came to you as a man of God mm-hmm. uh, and doing a very courageous thing, calling yeah. you up and saying, hey, I'm really sorry about what what I did. You know, yeah. that, that took a lot of courage, but mm-hmm. obviously he was led to do that. And, uh, right. and so much fruit came from it. That's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, and I don't want to overlook also, You know, we have the redemption story, but I think that the the way you described the trauma involved in all of that was so perfect because a lot of that is, you know, trauma, the fact that you don't remember or don't have memories of some of that experience is Mm -hmm. the fact that it was so traumatic. So it doesn't matter how much the culture wants to say that abortion is normal Mm -hmm. or that abortion is healthcare or that. Parents shouldn't be a part of the healthcare and and really Mm -hmm. everything about their child. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, It doesn't matter how it doesn't even that if abortion is uh, that abortion is legal at this time, calling it normal, it's not normal.
0: Right.
1: It never has been. It never will be. (laughs) It never will be normal. And for any person, because I I understood your story. I know what it's like to to. Make choices, and they are sinful choices, and I don't mean that as condemnation, but Mm -hmm. those sinful choices harden your heart. Those sinful choices are making you, even though even if you're consenting to it, you're traumatizing yourself through those decisions. Um, And it means that you have to harden your heart, Mm -hmm. which is why you found yourself drinking, why Mm -hmm. you found yourself in more sexual relationships. Um, because we're completely fragmented in our hearts and our minds and our spirits when we consent to trauma, right uh, decisions that are hurting. So it's not normal to treat sex as a recreational activity. Mm -hmm. It's not normal to have an abortion. Uh, It's not a judgment call from one human to another. It's the fact that that's not what we're created to do. And when we live contrary to our creation, we're going to experience trauma. Right. Um, right. But then the hope, like you just said, <laughs> is how God redeems us. Yes, that He pursues us because He doesn't want us to continue to live that way. Mm-hmm. No matter what we've committed, He will never leave us or forsake us. Right. Um, the only forsaking that happens is if we choose not to follow Him. If mm-hmm. we choose not to answer that call that He has on right. our lives to really to just submit to him and let him save us.
0: That's what he really just wants
1: to love us and take (laughs) that away from us. Take take away the trauma and help heal us from that trauma. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Oh my goodness. So does your husband now speak with you or, or are you still like the one that's doing all the yeah. speaking?
0: Well, his story is absolutely amazing. He um, is the president and CEO of Pennsylvania adult and teen challenge. I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but it's a faith-based uh, drug and alcohol rehabilitation center. And he's a, um, over um, a few locations um, in the Pennsylvania area. Now, he actually went through the program. That's how he got saved. Wow. And then he was the janitor and now he's the CEO. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, so we see it as he's helping to preserve life with those who struggle with addiction. Mm-hmm. And then I'm on the extreme of preborn babies. Sometimes we speak together, sometimes we don't. Um sometimes he'll come and just he likes to just listen to me speak and I'll introduce him and he's like, Oh, that's me, you know, because people don't like him in the beginning, you know. <laughs> Oh, right, (laughs) right. You want to introduce him him after you tell the story.
1: Otherwise, they're just, you know, giving him side eye. Yeah,
0: Yeah. but we have spoken here and there together. Um, But yeah, he speaks a lot on the addiction side and being set free from that. Well, that's
1: all part of it. Like you were saying, you know, when we go through those kind of traumas from treating sex that we're dehumanizing ourselves and objectifying Mm -hmm. ourselves, having abortions, the, the addictions, uh, whether it's sex addiction, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, mm-hmm. whatever it may be, those are all ways for us to cope that are unhealthy, right. obviously. So you're both saving lives mm-hmm. uh, in your own realm. That's amazing. Yeah. You're, you're a yeah. Powerful, powerful family. Oh, That's awesome. <laughs> and I know that you also, um, you know, par- part of what you do is really pointing out the history of abortion mm-hmm. and the history of. You know, we and especially right now that we're um, hearing, you know, when we're the Supreme Court's looking at Roe. yeah, um, and one of the things that I haven't had a chance to talk about on the podcast yet,, uh, but maybe this is a good time to bring it up as I see all these articles, and um, I don't know if you know looking at my video or not, but i'm I'm Hispanic. Um, mm-hmm. And so one of the things that is really irking me a lot, is to read these articles and hear these pro-abortion people say, "Well, what about the minorities? What about the people in poverty?" Oh and I get mad because I was raised in poverty and mm-hmm. I'm a minority,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: it, it's this condescending, yes, um, you know, setting the bar really low and just saying, uh, "I'm just going to say it, Tony." Mm-hmm. Just say is, it <laughs> is okay. This is how I hear it in my mind, or in my. Well, this is what I'm hearing those lowly brown poor people like you know there will always be poor and they'll never be able to cope well so we just need to keep abortion legal so we you know they can kill their babies off cuz they really can't cope that's what i yep. hear that's yep. what i hear mm-hmm. um and and that's really enraging me i don't know mm-hmm. why other people
0: don't hear that i it is actually harder for me to speak to the black community On abortion than any other community. How do you separate this? Mm -hmm. We have black women standing in solidarity with the ones who want to kill us off on purpose, standing with Planned Parenthood. And you bring up Margaret Sanger and they make excuses for her or they say, well, it's not like they're forcing them to go into the abortion clinic, they might as well, because 88% of the abortion uh, sur- surgical abortion clinics are in our neighborhoods within walking distance. Yes. We, I mean, we make up 12% of the population. Why are they mostly in our neighborhoods? Yes. I mean, it's not like white women aren't having abortions, but we are dying out very quickly because of it. I mean, this is what enraged me so much with uh, Cuomo because in New York City, more black babies are aborted than born alive. Mm-hmm. So now there's any reason for anything, you could just have an abortion. It doesn't matter. And <sighs> black women get angry when I speak about this or I when I um, did some speaking with Students for Life, I was their minority outreach director. And it could have been because of COVID and everything too, but the HBCUs, the Black Historical Colleges, mm-hmm, you cannot get on their campus to talk about abortion. They mm-hmm. don't want to hear it. And they're in bed with Planned Parenthood. Yes, they are. It's so I- alarming.
1: <laughs> so Tony, I'm gonna I- I'm gonna describe it. Now you may already know this about historically black colleges. And okay. So, you know, I'm a former comprehensive sex educator.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, so m- my first job was really as an HIV specialist. So this is all government money yeah. to fund people like me who are sex educators to walk mm-hmm. the neighborhood, literally walk the neighborhoods and knock on doors of minority people. So my, my population was to reach women of color of childbearing age Mm. Uh, that's important because that means if you've got a period, if you're nine, you're a woman. All right. Mm. So we're seeing little, little kids too. Um, and I also worked for a gay organization and majority of our, of our big talks were at Houston Tillotson college, which was just across the street. Let me tell you in Austin, Texas. Planned Parenthood has been across the street, literally catty corner. You can walk out the door and look onto the campus Mm. of Houston Tillotson, a historically black college Mm -hmm. and in the neighborhood of predominantly minorities, Hispanics and African Americans. And across the street on the backside of Planned Parenthood was the organization I worked for, which was a gay organization that had HIV specialists. Mm -hmm. And we were invited onto Houston Tillotson a lot. They worked with us a lot, um, and there was a lot of feminist, people, you know, feminists who were being, um, w- which means that they were also promoting abortion. Right. They were promoting um, LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. They were all just all of it. Yeah. Um, we had lots of um, outreach there, uh, festivals, sex festivals with. Oops, it was very windy here. <laughs> uh, sex festivals with you know condoms everywhere, lubrication mm-hmm. everywhere. And it was just, it was part of the culture. Right. Um, and the outreach there mm-hmm. was aggressive. And it ha- and this was back in the 90s. And I'm sure it was wow. happening even before that. Mm-hmm. So it's not surprising that when you were trying to conduct outreach with students for Life of America as, as, an, as a um, Black woman, that they were treating you that way. Mm-hmm. Because they have been doing this for years. Yeah. For years. We we hear this, we see this. You have seen mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Have you had any? W- what are your suggestions? I mean, what yeah. can we do d- differently mm-hmm.
0: uh,
1: to impact the community? Uh, one of the things that I noticed that when I was conducting outreach in these in these areas as well is that because these organizations have government funding, they have employees that are canvass- canvassing these mm-hmm. neighborhoods, you know, full time. Right. I really believe that we need organizations like Students for Life of America, but also the church in these communities. And yeah, me, honestly, that's number one. That is number one. That is number one. Mm -hmm. And when I talk to pregnancy resource centers about this, um, it's very important to me about the outreach. Mm -hmm. Because the reason they have such coverage is that they're paying people 40 hours a week to do that. Mm-hmm. So when people say, how do they know about Planned Parenthood and not the pregnancy center? Well, because the pregnancy doesn't have pregnancy center does not have people canvassing right. that neighborhood mm-hmm. 40 hours a week. Right. And what that means, especially when we're talking about trauma, we're also talking about areas that there has been a lot of trauma. There has mm-hmm. been a lot of abortion. Yeah. Um. There isn't always a lot of trust either. Yeah. And so. The trust is built when I'm there, for example, every Tuesday at nine in the morning, we know Monica's there. We know she's consistently there. Mm -hmm. So even if I didn't trust her in month one, I trust her at month two, and I definitely Mm -hmm. trust her at month six. Right. So now I know I'm going to go to her, even if I'm going to ask her about a bus pass, even if I'm going to ask her Mm -hmm. about whatever. Um, But she also gives me resources about abortion. Mm -hmm. She also gives me resources about Planned Parenthood. Right. Um, they come to know me as a friend.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, my, my, my vision is to have the church do that. Now I know we're not going to have government funding to do it, right? but the only way we can create change is to have that consistent presence. Yes. That's, that's one of my thoughts. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on, yeah. on how we can change?
0: I think this is starting to happen for me. Um, this coming year, I have a lot of speaking engagements at churches, which the past couple of years, it really wasn't like that. It was more banquets or like pro-life events. All, I mean, all the way up to March, as of right now, it's been churches like locally, which I think is powerful because I think some pastors are afraid to talk about black genocide if they're not black. Mm-hmm their congregation, or if they're not a minority, they are afraid because they don't know how, what's the balance of talking about it. So bringing us in to speak to that, to at least open the conversation so they can continue it because it's your family. It's your body that God has called you to, to lead. We can start that conversation, but then we have to have the resources and, I do think the pregnancy centers have to step up their game more than (laughs) they have. And okay, so what Planned Parenthood is out there? We can defeat that. And there is money out there. Um, And we do have to be innovative by being on social media, being where the teens are. Like I hate TikTok and all the things, but I'm thankful for people who are on those and are choosing to combat um, you know what, the enemy is doing, but I think it's not being afraid to talk about it. I mean, it's, I don't care if you're white, black, talk about it. <laughs> we, I mean, absolutely, we have to. We can't be afraid. It, I mean, obviously, it has to come out of a place of you're caring about this person and delivery does matter, but being silent is worse. Absolutely. We,
1: we can't be silent. And, and even though you and I started talking about um, how it's affecting the minority population or what the pro-abortion, um, you know, I, I want... It, we're a blended family, my family mm-hmm. and I. So my we have uh, my my son is afro Latino, my mm-hmm. husband is white, my stepdaughters mm-hmm. are white. Um, yeah. So we're a blended family. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I'm not leaving out anyone. We're all right. life is life. Life mm-hmm. is life. And and in all honesty, Planned Parenthood is in the the abortion industry, the sex ed industry is hitting every community. Yeah, every community.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and actually, just a conversation I had this morning too is this realization that this transgender movement that's also happening with Mm -hmm. children getting this rapid onset gender dysphoria that many of the teenagers who are more vulnerable to this, um, have been the white children because they're hearing this, um, Racist message that yeah. they are the problem and that they're inherently bad, and so the mm-hmm. only way that these children, going back to our conversation earlier about identity, the only way that these white children feel that they can be accepted is to become part of what the culture is saying is acceptable, which is yeah. to come out as the opposite gender or to come out as gay or lesbian. Very evil. It is very evil. So right now, the majority of these kids that are experiencing this rapid onset gender mm-hmm. dysphoria are actually white children. Mm. So, you know, so this is obviously an attack, I believe, an attack of Satan. It's very Mm -hmm. demonic. It's killing our family. It's back on the family, attacking the family. I mean, I talk to my audience a lot about the Communist Manifesto. Mm -hmm. Uh, Read the Communist Manifesto, guys, because it says there, no more private families. And the way mm-hmm. to destroy the family is to destroy their God. So yes. they want to destroy the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want Christians to feel that they can't speak. Uh, they want white people to think that they can't speak. They right. want minorities to think that they can't speak. Mm-hmm. We need to speak and we yes. need to speak with love. We have mm-hmm. everything within us to be able to do that united right. with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so this isn't a war on just one particular po- population, although right. I want to say it is a war against God. Mm -hmm. And his beliefs, and we, and this is what you mentioned earlier. You didn't usually get invited to go to a church. I don't hardly ever get invited to go to the church. Mm -hmm. God actually told me you need to teach the church. You need to go and speak to churches. Mm -hmm. Churches don't want to invite a lot of times about these issues. They don't. But I think, like you said, things are changing. God Mm -hmm. is moving quickly and he's preparing the remnant to go out there and speak out against this demonic influence. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is affecting all of us. No one escaping it. (laughs) No one is escaping it, including our own. Children, Mm -hmm. because if they are going to a public school or if they are somehow watching social media in any way, Mm -hmm. then these beliefs are also entering their minds and their hearts. And so to to strengthen the family is so Mm -hmm. important. Um, I'm glad that you're being invited by them even yeah. more um, by the churches. And so so I'm, I'm going to be praying that that continues for, for not only Thank yourself, you. but so many of us to keep getting in there and to give the churches the tools yes. that they're needing. Um, and sometimes it's just hearing people speak mm-hmm. in this way, like you're saying, yeah. that gives other people the bravery to keep yes. speaking. Um, yep. I think when Abby's movie plan came out oh i think gosh. that really helped a lot of people say yes i'm mm-hmm. like you know, all of a yes. sudden they felt the courage to yeah do it, you yes. know and mm-hmm. and that was just faithfulness on her part to mm-hmm. do that as well yeah. so um tell us more is there tell us more about what we need to know about um the power of uh the s- sex and relationships and com- combating the cultural lies. You know, right. what, what are you doing? And what do you suggest that we do as parents or just
0: as individuals? Mm-hmm. How do you think that we can do that? Parents, I mean, I have four little ones. My two older ones, my 11 and 10 year old, they're at that place. We're having conversations already because as parents, I think we forget how powerful our voices are. We, they know we love them they, we are consistently in their lives pouring into them. And when things come up, our voices are going to come to mind if we've been preparing them all along. So my husband and I, we decide not to have like a big sit down conversation with them. It's been an ongoing conversation based on their maturity level. And the more they mature, the more we keep Giving them more. Now, my kids are in public school. They just started public school two years ago. So we're a little bit more blunt with them. I want them to hear it from us first. And I'm not going to be afraid of telling them, you know, um, I'm sure I don't tell it perfectly <laughs> all the time, but it clicks to them. And I also have to have the release that God loves them more than me. Yes, God has called me to lead them and guide them. But ultimately, he's guiding them. And he is the one that (laughs) is going to protect them. And I pray that over them when they go to school, because I know they hear things. And we just ask them questions. What are your friends saying about this? You know, and when my son asked what sex was, I didn't flip out inside. I wanted to like, oh gosh, we're already here, you know? Um, But I said, okay, here's, I think three things you need to start with. Number one, sex is good because God created it. I said, number two, sex is for married people that to show that show each other that they love each other. And three, do not ask your friends because your friends know just as much as you do. And they're not going to tell you the right answers. So let's start with that. And he's like, "Okay, Like, you know, like I didn't flip out like, why are you asking me about sex? You know, I wanted the first thing in his mind to be that God created sex and it's good because I've heard too many youth group kids say my parents either didn't talk to me about it at all or they just said sex is bad. Don't do it. And then I've had friends who've been told that all along, get married. And then mentally, it's hard for them to enjoy sex when they're married because they've been told their whole lives that sex is bad. <laughs> and so now we've had conversations of like, when sex is taken outside of the context of marriage, yet yeah, it may feel good because that's what it's supposed to supposed to feel good, but there's consequences. and here are the consequences that God is trying to protect you from. and here's the beauty of having sex inside a marriage. I gave them um, a silly example of like a fire in a fireplace. Fire in a fireplace is really pretty, right? You get, it looks pretty. you could cook stuff on it, it keeps you warm. But if I just take a little spark of that fire outside the fireplace and I put it right in the middle of my living room rug because it looks pretty, it's going to happen. It's going to destroy everything. And it's not because fire is bad. It's because I took it out of its context. And that's what sex is, you know, inside of marriage. It's this beautiful thing that, you know, you grow together through that. And that bond gets even stronger because the chemicals that are released bond you together. And over time that bond gets stronger and stronger and stronger outside of marriage, you're going to get that bond, but then it's torn away. That's not what it was created for. Why do you think people go crazy and they drink or they flip out and they move on to the next person? That's not what it was created for. And so I always tell my kids to sit back and watch, just watch. And you'll see (laughs) that. Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't want a relationship like that. Or I don't wanna, you know, because they see a lot of their friends' parents are already divorced or they're getting divorced. And cause they would ask me, like, are you guys gonna get a divorce? I'm like, no. Um, yeah. No. No. Mommy and daddy are committed to each other. Do you know what commitment means? You know, it's like breaking down, it's those little conversations in the mundane of life that right. God gives you that you get those opportunities to pour into them. And I think the best example is the way my husband and I treat each other more than us telling Mm -hmm. them anything. It's how we show our love for each other that they're watching. They're watching that and seeing that. So.
1: And Tony, and I think, I think, and you're right. I think the modeling and we've heard for years, you have to model a good relationship Mm -hmm. to your children. And that is absolutely true. I've also come to realize that you can model and never speak and that there's a big void there. So the fact that you're speaking to your children Mm -hmm. and modeling it is a force to be reckoned with. And I think Mm -hmm. if you take either one of those out of the picture... Yeah, it makes it weaker. So you yes. we really do need both because our children need to know how to speak it as well.
0: Yes. Because they will be mm-hmm. challenged.
1: It's almost like apologetics, or maybe it is apologetics. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that they need to be able to give a reason not only mm-hmm. for their faith, but also a reason why they're making these choices, a reason right. why they believe that sex is best within the context of marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, and, and to be able to identify that in conversation as well as how people mm-hmm. behave. So it sounds like you're all, yeah. y'all are doing. We're it
0: trying,
1: we're trying. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what any parent is doing. You know, people, parents will come and, you know, ask me because I, I will tell, like I will help teach you how to do this at home because so many parents are afraid to have these conversations, yeah. mm-hmm. like absolutely terrified. Yeah. Um, and so I break it down for them. And the truth is, is that there is no perfect Perfect, way necessarily, but Mm -hmm. I do think that there are things that like children don't have to be sexualized. You don't have to say too too soon. Some Mm -hmm. children want to know more at a particular age than some other children. Um, I I normally, you know, tell the story that I I let my son know that as I answered his questions, if he felt uncomfortable by my answer in any way to let me know that he's heard Mm -hmm. enough and that we could always yeah. address it another time.
0: Right. And about
1: three times in his life, he did say that. He's like, that's enough, mom. I'm like, okay.
0: And we would move on. <laughs> yeah. And that's
1: the beauty of mm-hmm. parenting yes. is that your child and you can you, you can figure this those limits out with your child where at a school, they are not going to stop. They're going to say whatever they want, mm-hmm. whether they like it or not, whether they're comfortable mm-hmm. or not. Um, and they're speaking different values into our right. children and it's not right. our values. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you saw with your experience at Planned Parenthood as a young girl, those are the same things and tactics that are being used when comprehensive mm-hmm. sex education is being taught in the school.
0: Mm-hmm. They
1: don't believe that parents are important. They believe that parents are a problem. Yes. And so they're not going to tell you what they're going to teach your, your child because mm-hmm. they don't want you involved. They don't right. want you to change what they're going to teach your kid. So. They're going to keep it to just the child to mm-hmm. the extent of teaching that child how to navigate all of those services without parents knowing about it. And and your, you know, your experience is an example of that. Mm-hmm. You were led to go to these different places, they right. even led you how to, how to hide it from your parents. And that is exactly what is happening today. It's the same yeah. strategy that they're using today. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that your children know that they can come to you yeah. and ask these questions and not being trouble because mm-hmm. they're asking these yeah. questions, it's important. <laughs> they need to know that because yeah. that you know, my dad did the same thing. You know, we mm-hmm. grew up on a farm. And so because growing up on a farm, I understood what the animals were doing and that they were right. having babies afterwards. Like it, you know, I just, I just knew at a very, very yeah. young age. Um, but I think I had a, a one day, you know, I love nature, lived out in the country, there wasn't much else mm-hmm. for me to do other than love nature. But I, I think I saw like bugs or something. And, and there was one year, you know, I noticed that these bugs had a lot of little baby bugs. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand because they were so tiny. So I'm like, how did they they have baby bugs? You know, and I kind (laughs) of asked them an explicit question about that. Like, okay, how how does this bug, I don't see the parts on this bug. How how are they reproducing? And my dad totally freaked out on me. And just, he just, (laughs) I don't even remember what he yelled at me. He just yelled something and ran away, literally ran away from me. So I knew never to ask them those questions again. Mm -hmm. But, um, and so that's what we're talking about here. Moms and dads listening Mm -hmm. is that be prepared, like start talking to each other, how Mm -hmm. much you want to tell your kids and at what stage. Um, prepare yourself to answer those questions when they happen and not run right. away. Right. <laughs> not right. yell and run away, grunt and freak run away. Freak out
0: later. I say freak out later, not in front right. of
1: them. The, right. <laughs> it's kind of like a business meeting, like, you know, when you yeah. go to a conference, like, okay. a business, like stay yeah. confident and, and then you yeah. can go home and freak out later. <laughs> yeah. uh, put on a strong front for the yeah. kids.
0: No,
1: uh-huh. uh, so this is awesome. Tony, this is, I, I just love everything. Now, one thing I want to ask you, before mm-hmm. we end our podcast is uh, for sure. I want to uh, you know send me the links of, of where your husband is working as well. Would love to yeah. put that in the show notes. Okay. I yeah. think that's helpful we'll for a lot that. of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll definitely have links to how people can contact you. But tell us, how can you know, go ahead and verbally tell us how can mm-hmm. they get a hold of Tony mm-hmm. McFadden, hear more about your story, or even reach out to you mm-hmm. for um, asking if you could speak at their, at their community.
0: Yes, I have a website, TonyMcFadden.com. It's Tony with an I, (laughs) not with a Y. Um, And I'm on Instagram, Tony McFadden 12. And I'm also on Facebook, Tony McFadden. So any of those, you can reach out to me. But on my website, it has like a whole thing you can fill out for your date and what kind of event and things like that. So um, you can reach out to me that way. I would love it.
1: Perfect. And everyone, I am going to put all of those links in the show notes so you can easily click on her website. Uh, It's a beautiful website. You can see her uh, little clips of her speaking. And like she said, you can. submit a contact sheet so that you can ask her to speak in your community uh tony thank you so much we're going to keep uh i'll keep my audience um updated on your book i cannot wait to to read your book thank you for sharing your story and for the work that you and your husband are doing i can't wait to tell my husband about your story
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's amazing
1: so are there any last um thoughts that you would like to share with
0: parents before Mm. we end um, I would just say that don't compare, <laughs> that God has called you to parent your kids, and He picked you for a reason, and speaking life over your kids, <clears throat> excuse me, speaking life over your kids is so powerful, and no one has it all together, so be encouraged day by day. God will give you the grace for what He has for you, so Yeah.
1: That's awesome. Thank, Thank you. you. You're right. Parents are powerful. A lot of parents mm-hmm. don't know how powerful you are and how mm-hmm. important you are to your kids, even Amen. if they roll their eyes at you. Yep. There's no <laughs> one that they would rather roll their eyes at than you. They absolutely love you. So speak, keep speaking life into your kids' lives. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Tony. For more great podcasts that will build your faith and inspire you, head over to edify.app and search for the Edify app in the Apple and Google Play stores.